0: Welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends, a podcast from your friends at MI6HQ and the magazine MI6 Confidential. I'm Paul Atkinson. Today on the show, we're going back into the art of Bond, this time with Moonraker. And I've assembled the same great panel as last time. We've got Peter Lawrence, David Lee, Ben Williams and Sean Longmore. Could you introduce yourselves, please?
1: Hello, my name is Peter Lawrence. Uh, I've been a um, James Bond collector for, oh God, since The Spy Who Loved Me in 77. And nowadays I'm kind of focusing on the artwork of James Bond. And this is David Lee here. I run the jamesbonddossier.com and I am the author of the complete
2: guide to the drinks of James Bond.
3: This is Ben Williams. I write for mi6hq.com and mi6confidential magazine. I briefly studied design fundamentals and graphic design. um, And I've written on the art of uh, James Bond for the magazine, covering the covers of Richard Chopping, as well as the production artwork for License to Kill.
4: And hello, I'm Sean Longmore, uh, and I've been a graphic designer for a few years now, quite a few. Over the past year or so, I've been doing a Bond fan project, looking at uh, recreating
0: sort of James Bond Japanese posters and James Bond book covers. And as Sean says, are you ready to judge books by its cover now? (laughs) So we picked Moonraker at Sean's request, so I'm going to show Sean, throw Sean in the deep end and ask him... Why did we pick Moonraker? What was your, your gut feeling behind this one before we get started? Are you a particular fan of the first edition cover?
4: I, I really, really love Moonraker. Um, I love both the book and the film. I love that they're both massively different. And the it's not the first edition cover that gets me, but I like, I'm as we'll talk about in a bit, I'm a huge fan of the Pan covers, and they are my favourite book covers for Bond altogether
0: will will uh we'll tease that one and we'll come back to it shortly. But yeah, I will open the floor now to talk about the first edition book cover. Last time we picked from Rush with Love and we picked a pretty we picked a doozy to get started with, didn't we? And we're going back a few years now and to a time, a simpler time where uh, book covers were a little bit simpler, a little bit <laughs> less thoughtful perhaps. <laughs> a little bit more literal.
3: Flames at the side of my head. Um <laughs> It is quite literal in that sense, isn't it? I suppose it's, I suppose it's representing the, the flames of the Moonraker rocket itself. I assume. I guess it's kind of striking. I mean, it it doesn't really give you an insight into kind of what's in the, you know, in the in the book, in the pages, and what to expect coming along. It doesn't personally do very much for me, but um, I, I think with, with Sean, uh, I, I prefer. Uh, the pan covers and some of the other covers that, that have been done for it. This one doesn't doesn't light my fire, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I agree that it uh, is depicting the flames of the Moonraker. Can't see uh, what else it could be. But um, just want to talk a bit about the design. Um, it was done by Kenneth Lewis, who had previously designed the cover art for Casino Royale and Living and Die, based on ideas by Ian Fleming. Um, Kenneth Lewis was the house artist of chemistry newspapers, which uh, at the time owned the Sunday Times, where Ian Fleming was foreign manager. And apparently they both had an office on the same floor. Uh, I think one thing I'd say about this design is that it would make a very lovely 1970s style wallpaper.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd, You know what? I'd, I'd be happy with it on the wall. I wouldn't mind it
4: as wallpaper. <laughs> uh, so so I'm with you guys and I've kind of it's one that I've kind of never paid much thought to over the years. Until this past week. Um, I've kind of been looking at it on and off, like in preparation for this. And I always assumed as well that it could that it's the flames from the rocket. But then an idea struck me that maybe it could also be spoiler the explosion at the end very possibly because the whole book is about nuclear weapons and moonraker being a nuclear weapon but what's really struck me the more i have thought about it is how brave it is as a cover particularly for quite a mainstream novel at the time of when when you compare when you add so sorry what i'm trying to say is um with the title the title of like moonraker It doesn't actually, when you think about it, logic. So so I've thought, when I've thought about the book over the past week, it's the combination with the title I think is really brave in that... Moonraker doesn't mean anything. So it's sort of like an untrained, to a normal reader, Moonraker is just like, it's a nonsense word. Like you can't associate anything with that straight away. If you think of Casino Royale, you're instantly gonna think of a casino and gambling. You're gonna get pictures in your head as soon as someone says those titles to you. Moonraker, you kind of get nothing. You're kind of like, well, what is that? If you have no preconception of what Bond is, it's very like, well, what could that mean? So then to pair that with a very abstract image, like I say, I do. I think it's really, really is a brave choice, and it's quite an inquisitive choice. Like I think it it asks a lot of the reader before they've even picked up the book.
3: I don't. I mean, I agree. It doesn't give anything away, but the 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 word the title Moonraker does have for me. I guess it's a it's kind of reach. It's it's kind of um, overreaching in a sense. You know, it's, it's having these, these, these kind of aspirations, which, you know, aren't always fulfilled because of because reaching too far, perhaps. Um, that's, that's the kind of feeling that I get from that title. And I think that because of the content of the novel and, and the, the villain's plan um, of kind of, you know, maybe reaching too far, it, it does connect for me in that sense.
0: I thought it was the precursor to The Martian about growing potatoes on the moon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's like um, when you pan for gold. It's it's like, you know, looking for, you know, moon raking. It's kind of like that whole kind of, um, you know, sifting
1: through a lot to kind of try and find some, some one thing. I'm, I'm kind of wondering how famous Ian Fleming and the James Bond brand wars in 1955 when moonraker you know came out because in terms of let's say marketing for a book title this is kind of um, doing everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong because it it doesn't tell you anything what it's about really it's it's very You know, it's very stylish, admittedly, but, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of wondering, yeah, was Ian Fleming already that famous that people didn't need to know, oh, uh, okay, this is, you know, this is a James Bond novel because they immediately associated Ian Fleming with James Bond? Or was this just a very bold piece of marketing? Um, And I honestly don't know. I just want to put it out there. (laughs)
2: Well, I'd say that uh, probably he was pretty well known because uh, Casino Royale, uh, I think the, the first edition, they printed 5,500 or 7,500 copies and it was quickly went into a, a second printing and then a third uh, printing shortly afterwards. So I, I would say that he had his fans right from the go um, by the time of Moonraker. Ian Fleming, uh, in in the UK at least, I think he was pretty well known. Um, if you're talking about the States and in Europe, maybe not so much. But uh, certainly, I, I think probably people, his fans were waiting for his next book and they were expecting it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think they probably could get away with it. Mm, because I'm,
1: I'm kind of remembering, because I I quite like, you know, old books in general. And for example, there's of course stuff like Ulysses, for example, by Joyce or whatever that, you know, because it was so famous already that that they got away with it like a super minimalistic cover. And it was just essentially, you know, the author's name sold the book. And so, you know, it it might be that it was already the case with the third book in the series that that Fleming was so famous that, you know, said like, okay, we have the very bold Ian Fleming on the cover, so that will do the trick and sell the book.
3: A quick question to everybody: Sean brought this up earlier and saying that, um, you know, Moonraker is his uh, his favorite book. It's certainly top three for me. Um, I I, I kind of have a rotating top three, uh, you know, Fleming novels. Um, How does everyone kind of rate the book in terms, in in juxtaposition to its cover, I suppose?
2: For me, one thing that's always been very important about the Bond books is the overseas travel and the exotic locations, which I think um, in the films recently have been a bit underserved. And in the books and the early films, the locations are an an additional character, I I think. So uh, the fact that um, it was basically all set in uh, Britain makes me uh, less enthusiastic about it. I mean, there, there are many uh, parts of the book I, I love, like uh, the whole blade sequence and the description of the meal and when he beats, um, when he beats Drax at Bridge, that's all fantastic. But uh, the, the locations just don't quite do it for me.
3: Not a fan of Kent, as, as an exotic Kent.
0: <laughs> I was going to say you don't want to put too much of what's in the book on the cover because otherwise it will just say James Bond goes to Dover.
1: <laughs> but I, I agree, it's it, it's a very British book because it, it takes place in Britain. Um, also, compared to the other ones, he doesn't get the girl in the end because it turns out that you know she's engaged and and. Uh, so that kind of sets this book apart that's very british isn't it doesn't get the girl in the end sorry <laughs> well it happens in other countries as well but it's kind of very it's condensed it's kind of very because it's, it's almost like in almost like a theater play because you got you know essentially two or three main settings and uh, yeah the whole you know f- exotic location thing is, is missing, but that's also kind of why I like it because it's, it's kind of more domestic, very tight. I'm
4: with you on that. It's, it's one of the reasons that I do like it so much, that it's one of my favorites is because that travel stuff's not there. Not that I don't enjoy it, but I think it gives Fleming a bit more freedom in this one to, to focus on characters and story. Um, I think when he's writing his travel stuff, sometimes he does Get distracted, and you you get his opinions on other places, and he's writing about the world, which is wonderful. But I re I think that's what really sets this one apart for me, and what I really enjoy is that it does feel a little bit different.
3: Some of his best descriptions are within it. Some of his best prose writing is uh, is is there. But also, I kind of like some of the ridiculousness of it. You know, just. Um, just how ridiculously described Drax is um, how how stupid it is that Bond never sort of reports into base even when he's got you know a German like going through his suitcase uh, you know and uh, or or they turn up to dinner and there's no places being set for them because they thought they were dead, but know what you know i'm not gonna I'm not gonna report this it'll be fine it's probably just a misunderstanding so. So there is there is elements of kind of the bizarre in it, but also um, just some some really beautiful writing from Fleming. And um, I think it's, what's quite interesting is, I think in just juxtaposition of this cover, it doesn't do any of that writing justice. It just, you know, whereas I think with the, when we talked about From Russia With Love, you know, the, the, the Chopping's style and, and attention to detail, kind of balanced uh, Fleming's writing, whereas I think this this doesn't really have any connection to, to the quality of the writing that's within it.
0: I'm just getting, like, I mean, skyfall pangs right now because it's quite funny. It's like we just almost talked down the book for being too domestic, and then fast forward to 2012, and we are celebrating Britain and all its glory, <laughs> and it's a sort of a local story. And then you talked about... Well, it'd be pretty stupid for him to rep- not to report these things into base. And then I remember that much of the criticism that some people probably on these podcasts offered up for oh, <laughs> James Bond's too in touch with his, with his base and Skyfall. <laughs> He's wearing an earwig. Yeah, let's put I, that out
3: there. I, I did find that I did find that quite quite amusing. That he he often there, there are so many times where he do, I mean, like in the same thing with From Rush with Love as well. He has many opportunities to kind of report in and go. And this doesn't seem quite right, but he just kind of ignores those instincts to kind of uh, get the story moving along, <laughs> which I always find quite amusing.
2: Talking about locations, um, out of three Brits on this podcast, two of us are expats. What do you say to that?
4: <laughs> uh, that's true,
0: yeah. Sean's the only one that's wistful and feeling feeling nostalgic about the south of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Peter, did you want to chime in? I think we cut you off earlier.
1: Shall we move to the pan edition because I think it's much more fruitful, or like more to talk about?
0: Okay, is that was that the one that you were going to bring to the table, Sean, or Peter, or?
4: Yes, that was me, and I, I think actually what we've been talking about the um, the book itself, the story, um, is a nice segue into the pen for the reason that I think. Um I love the love I'm so I'm going to talk about both of them uh, the there was two versions of this pan cover, the original done by Sam Peffer, and then the, there was a reprint a few years later with a cover done by Pat Owen and they're both really beautiful you've got Bond and Gala sort of looking in terror as the moonraker rocket is launched and What I really love about these covers is something that I don't think any other of the covers do in the franchise on en- on near almost any of the reprints is that they they sort of give away the ending in that you're reading this book and suddenly you know that the moonraker is going to be launched in your mind as you're reading through the book you've always got it in there that oh, this rocket's going to go up when Fleming's describing it, when they're talking about it. You, you know this rocket's going to take off. And I think that itself really complements the story and really gives the story a sense of urgency. And it's one of those perfect examples of where a cover really, really, really supports the book as a reader. Um, and I, I, lo- I just love how clever
3: that is. So Fleming's, Fleming's rocket as opposed to Chekhov's gun. <laughs> if you're going to show a rocket in chapter one,
4: <sighs> it's going to be, if, you, if you're gonna show Bond in a in a spacesuit, it's
3: gonna end up in space. If you have Benzedrine at Blades in chapter one, <laughs> you'll have a hangover in chapter two.
0: <laughs>
1: Fleming's law, is it? No, I have to say, I, I also like the the pan covers quite um, quite a lot. I have, but the um, one where you, where you know um, Bond is kind of facing away and the um, rocket looks more futuristic, but it has this beautiful pulp action style to it that you know i always loved and i remember when i was you know starting to collect you know these books were incredibly hard to find especially when you were living in germany and when i finally got my first copy i was so happy and was staring at it for 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 a long time I was like that's so cool
4: yeah i'm I, yeah i'm with you there that i prefer the reprint one it is absolutely gorgeous and you've got all the wind sort of wisping past bond and gala as they're looking on. And I think the what's re- the sort of updated rocket is really interesting in that in the original, it kind of looks like, um, is it the V1 or the V2? Then on the, on the reprint, they've sort of updated it. And at first, I always used to think, oh, well, that doesn't look like a missile. It looks more like a rocket. But then in preparation for this, I went back and I looked at intercontinental ballistic missiles from that period, and they actually do look really similar. What are the dates on those books? Ooh, let me tell you, I've got, I'm, hold, I'm holding a copy of both here. Um, so the original was 1959, and the reprint was, uh, well, the one I've got is 1962. So it'll be somewhere in that period.
1: I've got a I've got a one copy here in my hand, which is a seventh printing, 61. So I guess you, you need kind of all the different printings to know where the switchover happened.
3: It's kind of interesting because the first pan cover, you know, the rocket is very much as Fleming describes it in the book, which, you know, ICBM's In those days, were pretty much limited to in the certainly in the public consciousness the the V two rockets from the Second World War, and so I think you know that's one thing to sort of remember when you're reading uh, Moonraker was that you know the the idea of a a intercontinental um, ballistic missile, nuclear one anyway, was a relatively ahead of its time concept. So it was quite it was quite sort of space age and new at the time. So quite interesting as you say Sean when you get around to you know the, the reprint uh, the the second cover and 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 it is much more as uh, you know in in line with those kind of the the missiles that you kind of see from that the the early 60s i also particularly like the fact that you you don't see bond's face in in that cover you know i like the idea that you kind of get an idea of what he looks like but you know you can kind of create your own uh, idea of, of, of his face
2: well, that's quite um, from Ian Fleming actually, because he's quite anonymous in the in mm-hmm. the books.
3: With with Faye Dalton's work as well, you know, this idea that you kind of get a, you know, that he's you know that he's white and male and dark haired, you know, to be able to kind of impose your own kind of physical description, you know, have a have a an image of him in your own mind's eyes uh, is, I think it's sort of better in some ways than, mm-hmm. you know, being
0: overtly told. I haven't looked at these two covers side by side before. And the thing that jumped out at me is sort of the perspective or the placement of the rocket in the original cover, which is sort of skewed and not... It looks like James Bond and Gala Brand are not in the same picture, not in the same universe as that rocket. It does look <laughs> like somebody has badly Photoshopped it on at the end. But in the in the reprint, they're all much more proportional. You can see the wind and the, and the well, you know, the, the probably the smoke and the steam affecting the character. It feels much more complete in that sense because you can you can imagine it. So even though perhaps they've captured that, I think it was Sean was talking about the terror on their faces or what have you, right? Even though they've captured that sense of of the drama in the first cover, I think I just prefer the composition of the second because of it, the fact that it's all a little bit more connected and a little bit more sort of real to me.
4: It, it feels more like a, a direct scene from the novel before you've even picked it up.
3: We can't talk about these particular pan covers without quickly talking about Sean's wonderful Nightfire cover that um, is is a nod to to these, um, which I think is fantastic. By the way, Sean.
4: Oh, thank you. Yeah, this one, this I've like I say, I've always had this one in the back of my mind when when I started that project. Um, I've always been in love with this one, and, and Nightfire for me is. Oh, I've always maintained that it's the closest adaptation we've had to the Moonraker novel. Um, so it just seemed like a really natural sort of thing to do. Um, I, I didn't quite capture that
0: perspective quite in the same way they have. And uh, while we're on your covers, Sean, I've I bullied you in the past about spoilers on the covers, but now I see where you get it from. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I, I'm, all for, I'm all for spoilers. Spoil
3: everything. You know? I think. I think the thing is though, you can't really have a you know a book or a game about you know, a spaceship or a rocket and expect it to lie dormant for the, into- like if you got to the end of Moonraker and it hadn't taken off or they hadn't detonated it, it'd be pretty anticlimactic. So I think it's kind of the, that's the expectation is already kind of front end loaded there, so to speak.
4: It it, it, it sort of sets up a thing of what else would, would could they have done at the time? I, I, it, it's easily, I suppose, the strongest part of, of the novel visually.
3: Yeah, I mean that, or just you know, uh, going for a stroll along the beach, mm-hmm. you know, or swimming in your in your underpants.
4: Actually, <laughs> there was there was a pan version before this, wasn't there? Where they so they just sort of stood looking at the missile in its silo. Uh,
3: yeah, I think to, to 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 me, Sean, that is that that, and I put it into our our group chat earlier. The Fleming's description of the the Rocket when Bond first sees it, um, I think is some of his best writing. And you know, it's whenever I think of Moonraker, I don't think of the if it's taking off or that whole last piece of action, I think about that moment when they're in the you know, they're in the actual silo
0: itself. We're not the kind of podcast that does a dramatic reading, are we? <laughs> Uh, I can can do a dramatic reading if you wish. No, it's fine, I think.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I I was just going to say, looking at the back of these, I can dramatically read the press quote back here, which just says, mercilessly readable. (laughs) I
0: love that. That's an amazing quote. It doesn't bear thinking too much about it. doesn't even
3: make any sense, but it's <laughs> it, amazing. It would sell a bunch
0: of books, but yeah. <laughs> Peter, what are your impressions of the the two pan covers that we've brought to the, the Sean Sport to the table? What I just realized is of course we talk
1: about the two pan covers, but this actually the second and third edition because the very first um paperback version of Moonraker um from I believe it's actually from even from 55 or 56 actually does show, has a lot of similarity um, in the design to the Folio Society illustration um, that Faye Dalton uh, uh, did. Because you see kind of this um, uh, um, silo, rocket silo, Bond and Gala escaping. And that's kind of the entirely different approach to, to the other two. So there are like three variations and I completely forgot about it. I wanted to bring that up. Do you guys know which version
0: I'm talking about? Silence, as we all frantically Google. Y-
3: yes, I do. Uh, I, I've seen it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it, and I actually really like it. And for some reason, when when we were doing the research for this, uh, I, I any any cover that has the silo in it seems to seems to t- tick all the boxes for me. So um, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of that one.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking now. It's, so it, it's actually the very first paperback edition was um, from um, '65, from '56. Germans are the only ones who switch, you know, put the second uh, number first, um, which is very confusing. Um, but, but that's actually the, the true first edition, and it it also has a lot of action because kind of the two main characters are running, are trying, it looks like they're trying to escape from this rocket thing. I kind of find it very interesting that Pan actually, in a short period of time, um, did three covers. I have no idea why.
2: Well, maybe they were trying to appeal to early collectors of the bomb books.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked quite well with me, I have to say. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd like to, to, to jump to, to some of the, the other books that we, um, um, that we chose. And I'm happy to make the start because I, I chose a, a, a Colombian paperback edition of, of Moonraker. In, in, in Colombia, it's called um, Sabotage. And what I like about it, it's um, they use the character of Sean Connery as James Bond, but the illustration is clearly a reference to, to the book. And I quite like this very odd combination of, you know, the, the filmic uh, uh, universe of James Bond mixing with the literary uh, one. And, and also it's kind of, it has this nice pulpy feel about it. And a big fat 007 on the, on, on the cover. Although I don't quite remember was Gala Brunt a redhead? Can't quite remember right now.
3: No, I think she but, but, she was a but it, looks,
1: it looks nice on the cover. And you know, it's for me it's it's very interesting because like Columbia, that's very far away. Okay, the book is actually from sixty five, of course, you know, that they feature Connery on it. But yeah, the, the the combination I think is is quite interesting. I also like this whole series and because it has this nice yeah, paperback feel to it.
2: Yeah, he looks very, very much like uh, like Sean Connery. I mean, he, he's got the polo shirt for, from Doctor No. It's uh, it's very much taken from Doctor No, although I'm not quite
1: sure who his female companion is right here. Yeah, but but you're absolutely right. It's you know that's that's very much Doctor No on the on on the cover.
3: Yeah, it looks like uh, Helga Brandt, Doctor No era Connery. It, yeah, it's. A, I, I agree. I, I agree with you. It's an interesting. It's an interesting cover, um, Peter, and it's kind of. It's got nice that nice sort of pulpy feel to it, but um, I don't think it. Uh, I don't think it's as
1: punchy as
3: the, uh, the pan
1: covers personally. Oh no, um, I, I completely agree, and what I just realized, actually looking at the cover, they cut the most important bit off because you can see, you know, the two characters, you know, looking at something, but. You actually need to turn around the book on its, you know, on, on the look at the back to see that actually that there's a rocket. Ooh. Actually, you know, coming to think of it, it's not a brilliant <laughs> cover.
0: <laughs> you carry on the great tradition, Peter, of bringing us something slightly dubious but interesting.
2: Well, I've got dubious as well. Um, I've got a couple of um, covers for, for my pick. The first of them is a, a recent uh, vintage cover, yellow cover. It's got a moonraker it says moonraker on the on the front and it's got this uh, rocket it's the moonraker looking very much like a v2 very very simple but uh, quite striking so the other one i wanted to uh, talk about was the pen from the 1960s it's this part of this um still life photography i i, I hate them uh, they're awful and uh, you know it, it's it's got some bond stuff in it. It's got a, a cocktail shaker. It's got some cards, which obviously relate to the story. But very weirdly, it's uh, got a salad in it as
0: well. <laughs> there is really something about yeah. that salad that is really <laughs> off <off-book.
3: laughs> It's so it's such a bizarre thing to throw in there. And when you when you put it in the in the the file, David, I was like, well, that's an interesting choice i'm sure he'll have his reasons (laughs) i honestly didn't expect you to be like i i hate it
1: (laughs) well they're quite quite uninspired and and it's you know okay let's take a still you know sometimes a movie is still sometimes some stock photo like in the case of moonrake of this kind of whitish car and just chuck it on there so i think it's 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 lazy that's how it feels for me to me
3: i think it i think it gives away the fact that bond has a salad at some point in the book, and I think you know you shouldn't ruin that for the readers by putting it on the cover.
0: I'm sure it's better described than it's photographed to be fair:
3: <laughs> Just, you've, got a, you've got a book about a, you know a, an intercontinental nuclear ballistic missile, and you've decided you've got a salad on the cover. it's pretty good. Good choice, guys.
0: I was going to say, well, they thought they needed something on the left-hand side, and they said toss in a Salad," and they went <laughs> with the pun. Yeah. If I have to choose now, if you're making me choose, I think I think Peter, Peter, Peter's uh, hidden rocket is probably preferable to broke <laughs> yeah. salad.
3: Although I do, I don't, as you say, David. I don't dislike the uh, the vintage uh, cover. It's, it's punchy enough. It, I don't think it really necessarily says much about it but it's graphically fairly strong and you know um.
0: I think the thing with that series is that they committed themselves to choosing a different color for each of the books Mm. and so you probably don't get the most appropriate suite of colors on the covers of the books and when you line them all up they are all at least distinct but I probably wouldn't have chosen yellow for Moonraker if you know there were some other color palettes available. Mm
3: Mm-hmm
4: I don't know. I think the, the green-yellow kind of matches the salad, so I can see where they were coming
3: from.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a nod to the salad, all right. <laughs> Peter, did you have any views on, uh, on, the, on the vintage selection?
1: For, for me, I'm fairly neutral because they are kind of graphically okay, but I'm not blown away. So, you know, I just, I'm neutral on them. <laughs>
0: Are you the kind of person who would be lean, who would lean towards that simplicity of cover, or are you a Sean and you like like got to get all the detail in there? I kind of <laughs> I
1: like opulence and and I mean it, it depends. I mean for a lot of things I like you know very clear graphic design is is quite nice. When it comes to James Bonds, you know that's for me that's kind of more the opulence, the exotic locations, the women, the guns, the martinis, and 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 so yeah,
0: I I do prefer you know if. If there's something to see. Fair enough. I guess this is an opinion-based podcast. <laughs> Just my opinion.
4: What's really interesting for me is that they haven't put Ian Fleming on it. I assume the the circle in the O is also supposed to be a, a moon,
0: I guess? when there's not much to, to be said about the moon in Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because we went from the talking about the first edition cover where we said it's a pretty bold not to put something like a rocket on the first edition cover – and then you fast forward fifty years, sixty years, you get a cover that doesn't put the name of the author on, but everyone knows the name of the book because mm. they've by now probably seen the film. Um, anyone who's seriously going to be buying this book, they, you know, what they leave off has has changed somewhat over the course of the over the course of the franchise. It's
4: interesting because I think that so the, the first edition cover is abstract in its minimalism and it evokes a sort of abstract response. This feels. You know me; I'm not going to be the biggest fan of these ones, but it feels minimalist for the sake of being minimalist. But actually, you've you've still got quite a detailed image of a rocket on there that's very clearly a rocket, so it's actually not very minimalist.
0: Minimalist, but not abstract, right? Whereas the first cover was abstract and and minimalist. I, d- I, d- I, d- I, d- I always right. thought.
4: If if something was minimal minimal it was trying to tell a story with like the least amount of elements the least amount of obvious components this is very literal in that it is a picture of a rocket it's just very small
0: okay I thought maybe those two things could come undone those two definitions could come undone perhaps but maybe they are intrinsically woven together the idea that something can't be can't be literal and minimalist or it ought not be literal and minimalist anyway we've just gone down a taxonomy <laughs> rabbit hole. There's no salad on there so I don't like it.
3: Sean, sure, you, you know you 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 shouldn't uh, disparage somebody for the size of their rocket <laughs> really.
4: especially when it's about to fly through a, a, a circular hole. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah that's a that's a very um I mean we haven't talked about that but that that's clearly uh that's clearly a, a, an illusion on there isn't it? It's uh, ironic actually that something. that's
4: on the cover where Bond doesn't get the girl as well. <laughs>
0: Should we, can Shall we move, swiftly on? move swiftly on sorry about that
3: yeah it's my go and um, I, I have to say that um, I've mentioned it earlier I'm, I'm very much into my, my rocket silos and the one that I have chosen is actually the Croatian imprint by algorithm which was edited translated and art directed uh, by Vladimir Sever uh, who is actually a very good friend of mine and has uh, stayed with me many times in the UK. But we actually get, became friends over this, this particular cover uh, art that he did for Moonraker. Um, and he, prior to this, he'd done a couple of other covers uh, for a couple of the other uh, Fleming books that he translated. It, this, this is when we kind of became friends. And it, it's a shot of the model uh, and a... Uh, Kurovasa, who's, who's playing Gala Brand, they tried to find a model with the the same um, physical proportions, uh, shall we say, that was uh, as described by Fleming, and tried to take a scene from the book, and which is what he's trying to do with all of his, his Bond covers, was to take a scene, like an actual moment from the book that didn't focus on Bond, that was actually about the, uh, the Bond women in the story this this moment of, of gala looking up at the at the moon wreck. you don 't actually see the the rocket you see her sort of surrounded by the the missile the the, the the polished steel of the missile silo which i I think you know just kind of captures that moment of awe that uh, Fleming describes as, as both Bond and gala kind of look up at, at it and uh, I think it's a nice little snapshot from from the novel um there's a couple of nice things that he he did as well, which is like on the on the spine, which I don't think I put into the dropped into the uh, photo uh, chat, but was it has three gold bands on the spine. So if he's doing a you know a Fleming, as opposed to say a John Gardner or something like that, it gets the three gold gold stripes of the and special, so to speak, and also the commander's rank, to show that to show that it's it's the real deal. It's Fleming, but I also couldn't. Uh, like like david i couldn 't pick just the one and I just love faye dalton 's work on the folio editions uh, and particularly on on moonraker I think it 's just fantastic I love this I love this um, this illustration that she 's done it 's not particularly you know action packed or dynamic but again it is that moment where bond is seeing uh, the moonraker for the first time um, and uh, I, I just um, i I guess that's part of my silo love.
0: I mean, it is the safest place to keep your missiles.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually looked, looked at buying a silo once, but that's thats, that's for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Comments, uh, reactions.
4: Uh, sorry, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm looking. I've got the Fade Dalton one in front of me here, and I'm just really distracted looking through the little illustrations now. Which you're right, they're all absolutely beautiful. I love that. She's one of the few artists that has actually done a representation of Drax and his wonderfully hairy mustache that Fleming likes to talk about all the time. Um, and then there's also there's a lovely illustration towards the end.
1: They're in the shower, but you can see Bond's bum. Very yeah. peachy. <laughs> no, I, I quite like also, I, I like the, the, the cover artwork because I, I actually, I think it's very dynamic because um, she shows a very interesting perspective kind of, you know, looking into this um, silo. Also, what I quite like is that she captured the '50s feel very well because it, it, it doesn't look um, a modern. Well, it does look modern and then techy and stylish, mm. but at the same time, you know, you you really get this kind of '50s old-fashioned feel, you know, from old sci-fi movies where where you saw rockets and everything. So I I very much like
0: that that approach to um, you know to illustrate the the Moonraker novel. I think what strikes me about that Faye Dalton cover is that it's you're overwhelmed by how bright the light is and the reflections off the rocket and the rest of the space. It just feels like you walked into that that space pretty pretty clearly, and you're like a little bit gobsmacked to yourself by the whole the whole space. And partly is you know you walk into those large hangars, or I've never walked into a missile silo. Sorry, Ben. (laughs) You can imagine the awe of the place, and one of the things that contributes to that is that sort of like those blaring lights I'm yeah sure
3: she's, that... she's caught that reflection of of light on metal um mm. which i think is something that really kind of you know when when you read uh, fleming's description i mean it really just it, that's one of the things about it is this it's just the the brightness of it and the and the way that the the light is reflected off the of the polished steel of the of the moonraker itself it's a it's a beautiful piece of writing and i think she's she's uh,
0: kind of captured that that very very well. Yes and it was it's nice that you brought to our attention the Croatian covers as well because I remember us doing a story on on the production of those and it was through that that but... Yes, that's right.
3: Yeah, I I sort of come across what what Vladimir was 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 doing, and um, I was I was very lucky to be able to kind of you know do a bit do a bit more of a an in depth kind of um, interview with him. I think I can't remember which issue of the the magazine it was in, but we did a we did I think a, a good couple of pages on on these on these covers, and it was a it was a rewarding assignment.
0: If you had to pick uh, from all of the Croatian covers, is this the one that strikes you? the most i was just Uh, sort of looking at some of the other ones some of the other ones are perhaps a little bit more contextual like you get a bit more of the sense of the place
3: yeah this this is my favorite one um unfortunately uh they i mean the, the the concept was to obviously do do all of them, and I, I think, unfortunately, it didn't. I think it got as far as "From Russia with Love" and then didn't go any further. But I don't actually think that "From Russia with Love" was ever actually, you know, uh, produced. But I do have some of the, uh, the, the the photos from those sessions. I don't know which one they would have, you know, picked for the final cover. But I have to say that they were very good. Um, but as a as an official cover, uh, I think this is the best of of that that set. I think it's uh, quite evocative.
0: And uh, kudos to Vladimir for writing the theme tune and singing the theme tune. And <laughs> <laughs> my goodness, that's a that's a bit of a, a bit of a passion project, isn't it?
3: Yeah, he's he's somebody who clearly knows knows his Fleming extremely well, and uh, it, it's always very gratifying to have a conversation with somebody who you know, because one of the things I think when you when you're translating another author is to try to not just, like, translate the words, but try to capture some of their style and their inflection. And, mm. um, you know, not always is there a, a parallel in that language. So I know that he's a very passionate man and tried very, um, I believe, succeeded in in capturing a lot of uh, Fleming's mannerisms and stylistic.
0: That's, yeah. that's good to know. Not being able to read Croatian, I can't, you know. Since yeah. check that claim, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it would. i you know, this is what they say about film editors, right? You notice a bad film editor, but you don't notice a good film editor. Oftentimes, right? If you you know when you're reading a bad translation of something, but if it's a good translation, you can be fooled into thinking that it's the, the original language.
2: Actually, yeah, you say that. I, I've read a number of the novels in in Spanish and. Um, in one of them, uh, I'm not sure which one it is, maybe it's Dr. No, uh, there's, a, there's a curious thing where uh, Bond is in M's office and uh, in the English uh, M has a shell, I think it's a 16 inch shell that he uses as an ashtray and in Spanish it's been translated as a, I think it's a twelve-centimetre seashell. So the translator didn't get the, <laughs> didn't get what Fleming was writing about at all. There, it's it's completely changed it. It's, uh, uh, is it, and I, when I read it, I thought, have I got this wrong all the time? I went back and I had to, um, I, I, I had to make <laughs> sure that uh, I hadn't been wrong all this time.
3: Which also changes the character as well you know it's that whole kind of naval connection that he would have had and suddenly he's like oh did you pick me up a shell from when you went to jamaica well
0: you know we know he has a we know that navy personnel not really fond of the sea not very good swimmers
3: <laughs> they don't like shells at all Hate <laughs> shells hate sea seashells they love ammunition shells but they hate seashells
0: ah shall we uh shall we take a left turn into the film world yeah indeed Go for it. Who would like to introduce the quad? Maybe I can pick on Sean again because a he hasn't spoken in a while, and b oh no, oh, no. he nominated <laughs> Ranker.
4: Absolutely. So I, th- I think there's sorry. I'm opening my big book of James Bond movie posters.
0: There's a lot of Foley work in this episode.
4: Okay, we go. I've got I've got it in front of me. It's um, so I don't know I don't know how much we're gonna say about these posters, particularly as all the posters are very clearly from one one very controlled campaign. Um, In terms of the marketing, usually with Bond, when it's marketed internationally, as we looked at in from Russia with Love One, you get lots of different variations on the posters, but the majority of Moonraker's posters are very similar. They're all done by the same artist, Dan Guzzi. Um, And so they're all very cohesive, and there's a lovely through line kind of through them all. Um, And then the quad poster that we've got here, we've got Roger Moore Who's the best James Bond? In in a spacesuit, and you've got it's, it's <laughs> on Drax's spaceship. You've got the Drax's girls around him. You've got those like, Childs next to him. Jaws are sort of approaching him from behind. Shuttle like unloading all the oh, are they space marines? Do they call them space marines? Um, and it's it's just it's exciting, isn't it? And you've got that lovely Ken Adam architecture to be really shown off. You've got all the characters. It's kind of like. It's mesmerizingly sort of beautiful in that there's a lot going off, but also your eye knows exactly where to go. And then whenever your eye looks somewhere else around the poster, there's something new to discover. And I'm all about that. I love that.
1: I have to agree. Um, I I was very fortunate to to be able to um, look at the original artwork um, that he did. And these things are big. I mean, they're basically, I think, they're roughly about 1 meter 50 high. So, so he, he paints uh, uh, at a really large scale, and the, the detail is absolutely amazing. Um, also, when, when you look at the spacesuits, with all the little reflections and, and, and stuff coming out of that, I mean, that must have been an enormous amount of work. Yes, of course, they, they used you know, that key and main artwork throughout the world, um, so there's not much variation for the overall poster campaign. Um, but I still it, it's, it's stunning and it also kind of the a three-dimensional effect that this artwork has um, is very nice
2: yeah i i think it's a great artwork it's really really good it's not one of my favorite films but uh, certainly as uh, artwork it, it it is up there well one of the things that i was i noticed earlier on when i was looking at it is if you zoom zoom in on roger moore roger moore's face it he doesn't actually look very much like Roger Moore from a distance. It seems clearly like Roger Moore, but uh, you zoom in, and uh, then he has
1: quite a thin face. I have to to, yeah. to admit that, and very well maintained hair. I think
3: I think it might come from the fact that some of the some of the artwork was from from um, photographic references. A lot of these photo references were taken uh, top down. The, there's the pictures of um, Roger in you know, flying above the earth. And they were, they were kind of like a, you know, taken from a height. So his, there is a kind of a foreshortening on his face a little bit.
4: Yeah. So, so correct me if I'm, if I'm mistaken on this, but wasn't the story that Cubby wasn't happy with the likeness of more on the spy who loved me poster. He said to the marketing agency, we hold a photo shoot, you could have Roger for a day. And then he spent a day in the space suit, smoking cigars, which can't have been great. Cause that must've been really flammable. <laughs> um, and then they took those images <laughs> specifically to use on the posters. And I, I, I yeah. suppose that would have been the first time that would have been done since Majesties, maybe. Maybe they did it for Live and Let Die, but done, I don't know if I've seen those pictures.
3: So if you, if you, zoom, if you zoom in on, on this and look at the details, as David says, on, on the face, it is almost as if he's kind of looking up. Like if, if he was, you know, so am not, not describing that very well, but his, his head doesn't belong in that, that body. It's taken from a, a pose that's taken above as he's looking upward, if that makes and sense. They,
4: they took one specifically at that angle, didn't they? For the, that was for the advanced American one sheet, I want to say, where he's floating up, but then it appears on like lots of different things.
1: Yeah, I've got some of the reference photos that actually the, the studio shot where, they, where I assume the photographer had to climb on a ladder and, you know, and, and shoot yeah. Roger from, from, uh, from the top. And then Deguzzi actually accentuated or, or, or uh, the whole forced perspective in the in the teaser, you know, sure. where it's floating above the earth. And I, I, I clearly remember in, 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 you know, after I've watched, you know, when I was 10 years old, uh, Spy I loved me. And then, you know, I was kind of really looking forward to the next one. And I saw this teaser poster of, of, you know, James Bond in space. And I was like, oh, cool. And it didn't even bother me that he wasn't wearing a helmet. I mean, in hindsight, it's <laughs> kind of, how well do you survive in space without a, a helmet, but it just looked cool and then what's James me.
3: Bond One of the things I like about this as well is that because we're in a zero gravity environment in this you know as the as the viewer of this poster, we don't have a flat floor that we are on. as the viewer of this poster, we are in zero g ourselves and we are floating as we are looking at this if that makes sense because we are not on the we're not on the ground that the background is tilted and shifted away it doesn't you know you're not anchored as you are in a lot of uh, a lot of posters it, i think it kind of draws you in more because of that because you kind of feel like you're a part of this floating environment which i really like i like
0: the composition but i'm gonna be a nitpick for a little while some of the other details we were you were talking about zooming in and as we were zooming yeah. in Ben, I noticed that he has a union jack on his shoulder and J Bond 007 on his breast. Not not. <laughs> no point in the story does he wear a british space uniform
3: no well he doesn't even use that that uniform either that's the american uh space marine uniform isn't it and he never he never wears that if we're gonna if we're gonna nitpick as well i would say that it's really strange that you know you've got this body of text and then richard keel is kind of shoved in into the into the main body of the kind of it's sort of it's, it's sort of like they you know it's interesting how lois charles isn't Lois Charles as it's Michael Lonsdale as Drax and Richard Keel as Jaws, but no one else is kind of you know they don't have to have that that on there. And I know that Richard Keel's return as Jaws was a you know a big selling point to it, but it does seem very strange that you know they didn't need to they didn't need to put you know they could have made it so all of the all of the uh, credits were in that little one block at the bottom, which was it was clearly designed for. It is interesting how that Jaws is is far more um, front and center as a threat in this than Drax is. You know, you could you have to kind of look twice to see Drax even in the poster because he kind of does disappear a little bit into the background. And you know, even even on our super magnifying thing that we're doing, it's very difficult to kind of you know really pull any detail or make him out that much. But Jaws uh, is
0: right there. Gonna ask a question that may be hedonistic, but I like the composition. I appreciate the artwork. I like as Sean has said, there's always something new to look at. As Ben has said, this strange sort of perspective actually lends it new to feeling like you are in space. But does this feel like a James Bond poster?
2: It's got Bond in a tuxedo, it's got women, it's got Jaws. Look at him there. It's got Drax in his flares.
0: Um, I think that's a perfect answer. When, when the majority of the film
1: isn't set in space. But that was a selling point of the of the movie. Of course, you know we need to consider that like, this came out in seventy nine, two years after Star Wars, and they clearly realised, oh, we need to do something space themed if we want to stay relevant. And I mean, what I kind of like is, you know, okay, um, Bond is wearing a spacesuit, but with a tuxedo underneath, which is very much, I mean, when when you look at, for example, you only have twice the little Nelly, the little helicopter thing, where he's also wearing a tuxedo. So for me, that's also kind of, you know, astronauts usually don't wear tuxedos. So that's kind of a little, you know, Bond thingy for me.
3: I like the fact that it's also, it's like sort of a nod to Goldfinger as well, isn't it? You know, that he yeah. would strip off his spacesuit and have a tuxedo underneath.
2: Absolutely. It hadn't occurred to me before that it was a, a Goldfinger uh, nod. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And why wouldn't he wear his uh, tuxedo under a spacesuit anyway? Where would you put the salad? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Aren't those salad bowls upturned in, in the background? Isn't that what they are? I thought that's what they were. Yeah, what's happened is. Like they've turned the, they turned off the gravity, right? And Jaws was bringing salad bowls over to Drax. He's dropped them. They fall on the ground. And he's now jumped down to try and retrieve the salad bowls.
0: <laughs> this is why Jaws wasn't tasked with, you know, some of the house yeah, care. Yeah, never work. got that job again. That was the last work. time. Salad really gets caught in his teeth, too, doesn't it? I,
3: I, I know that we're a long way from doing You Only Live twice but it does have that there's the poster where bond is walking around the rim of the volcano at a you know at a strangely oblique angle it has you know with all of that action that's going on in the background of that poster it reminds me of this you know that you are you know your gravity is being defied um there's a lot of kind of uh, action elements thrown in there i i, I think in that respect does feel bondian so yeah
4: uh, some bond posters do this some bond posters don't i think more don't um in that it, it sort of compiles all the action and all these different action elements into one scene and it's one very clear image it's not a compilation it's not a mash-up it's not like so when you look at then the for your eyes only poster that came out afterwards you get little bits and snippets of action but they're obviously all different scenes this is one piece and you get that with you Only live twice um the majesty's poster where bond and tracy are skiing um and so there's 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 a few that do that and i think that is a very bondian kind of style thing a lot of movie posters over the arcades do tend to lean towards that compliment compilation sort of style
0: That's probably a good cue to uh, transition to Ben's pick for the posters because it's the I think just glancing at what we've collected together that's that's perhaps most similar to the UK quad in terms of composition and yeah so this is just just the
3: the the Italian poster and it isn't substantially different in that it uses pretty much the exact same artwork Um, it's just that it takes the uh, the text and the credits out it uses there's a there's a, um, a line of blue underneath that the artwork Roger Moore's name is on and then there's a contrasting kind of the the name Moonraker itself is in a kind of a what color would we call that you know a sort of a magenta yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah, it's not quite. Red. It's it's kind of almost a, a rosy quality to it, like you know, like a, a softer, faded red. And it's quite, it's quite. When we talked last week about how, you know, the red of spy movies is often this kind of blood red. This is this is very different. And I, I quite like the, um, the the two colors side by side, and the fact that you know the credits are uh, are sort of nicely separated out. And coming back to what Sean said about. Um, you know highlighting ken adams set as well that's one of the things that i i think you know really stands out in this particular one and, and and i don't know whether this was the artwork is definitely used internationally but some of them seem to have you know roger sort of being a little bit more punchy in it you know they they seem to be like uh, they, they they color grade it differently um some of them, he appear he, he sort of like because of the silver of his spacesuit, he sort of blends a little back into the background. Whereas this, I think, um, because of the, because of the way that the the colors have been done on it, he stands out more. And I just think it's a nice composition.
1: Yeah, I think it's it, it's kind of my my role now to throw in the really ugly poster. So uh, uh, when I when I prepared <laughs> for this, I kind of looked through all the you know different countries and different posters. And of course, there's a very special poster from Brazil. Um, Usually, they're not really, there are no posters from Brazil, but they made an exception for for Moonraker because it was shot there and created their own one sheet poster, which is different. uh, (laughs) I I can't, in in all honesty, say that it's a nice poster. It's but ugly, in my opinion. But (laughs) it is something different. And I mean, I don't know, you know, what have they done with the space station? I mean, this seems like somebody hastily thrown (laughs) something together. It looks more like a comic book, but at least it's it's the the, the one. The one poster that I know of that actually uses a different artwork uh, um, to to all the other ones yeah he's definitely looking a bit shifty there on this so he looks
2: even less like Roger more than in the quad poster doesn't, he, doesn't...
1: He, he looks like like one of these puppets you know these you know whatever was, was painted on faces but I, I think that it's actually based very quickly also on uh, McGinnis did a, did a teaser um, very simplified uh, teaser where um, uh, Roger holds is a space gun. But yeah, I think I picked this one purely for the reason that it is different to the other ones. Apart from that, there's not much you can say about it then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my choice uh, from the
2: film posters is the the Spanish one, uh, purely because I live in Spain. Um, and it's it's just uh, Roger Moore in his spacesuit with everything else stripped out. And the it's slightly different in that he's he appears to be standing on the Earth.
3: I quite like that though the way that he's sort of standing on the uh, Earth. it's quite a cool, you, you know, obviously much larger than life. Uh, it, it becomes it becomes less literal and uh, more metaphorical.
1: It, it, it's funny because they actually did produce this poster for uh, in the US so it actually it, um, I, I doubt it was used in Spain so this was actually produced for the Spanish language uh, market in the US um, and yeah why they repeated the title so many times I have no idea um but yeah they, they, they have combined two different artworks in in this one but i, I like the clarity i uh, i agree it's it's because it, it does stand out and it makes it um, special but um, why they you know why they did it four times the title i have no idea
3: it's there's, there's just the one that i threw in at the bottom which was the teaser and i'm sure that peter knows more about this as you, i think he said it's the american teaser is that right
1: um, which one do you mean the he's floating uh, in, in space?
3: He's sort of, he's sort of flying above, he's sort of flying above the, the planet Earth in a very kind of Superman-esque kind of... Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah that, that was actually the, the teaser poster that, uh, um, yeah. that was the first artwork to be released uh, um, for the movie. Probably one other thing that I'd like to mention with the, the Spanish poster, which also uses the Space Station main artwork... But they have put a, um, they coloured the the dress of Holly Goodhead in in you know pink, reddish pink, purple something, and I always ask myself why on earth would you do that? Because it it looks so out of place and so odd. Um, and it, it you know in, in the old you know in in the sixties some of the. Bond posters were deemed to be too risky for the Spanish market. So they kind of covered up, you know, the bikinis or made them into dresses. But here, you know, she is showing a lot of leg and everything. And I had never quite understood why the Spanish distributors like CB Films had to change that.
4: I, don't, I, won't, I wonder if it's, to, if it's an obvious to sort of um, pull her apart from Drax's Girls, perhaps. Um to obviously sort of pinpoint that this is the main star, this is james Bond's love interest um I suppose the color pink is a very stereotypical way of doing that um what's interesting about that image though is that that um I found I have a German copy of John Gardiner's Scorpius, and that same image is used as a reference for the cover of that the the whole those whole series of books take sort of little elements from all the posters and i i I found it really interesting that they specifically pick Holly in pink as
0: a representation for their female character on the front of that cup. Um,
4: sorry, Paul, you were going to ask me a question before.
0: I was going to, I was going to just bring you into the conversation a little bit and ask you maybe to talk about your selection because that yes. is—I don't know what country it's from. It's a—it's labeled as the teaser poster, but it's the also a U.S. teaser poster. And also by Gouze.
4: It, it's also by Gouze. The one um, that I'm looking in my book here, the one, I don't know if it's just the text that differentiates Is it? it's specifically labelled as US. Um, but for people listening at home, this is the one where Bond is surrounded by Drax's girls. He's actually outside the spaceship and they're all sort of flying up with him. And I, I think it's just a really interesting image. And it, it sort of references the posters of like... Um, thunderball and things like that where you had you had bond sort of surrounded often by women who are just models they weren't characters in the film and i think this is this is kind of the last james bond poster to do that and it's really nice that they're all characters
1: within the film yeah it's i think they they used they used actually in 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 europe it's um they used the you know the single moore and space one um as a teaser in the u.s as well but there are two u.s um u.s one sheet advance one is you know Moore in space and the other which usually um, there are three or four variations that that kind of build up because one um, says blasting off in June, uh, blasting off soon, blasting off the summer. So they actually reprinted that poster several times and they actually build up the the campaign, always using this, you know, Moore and girls drifting in space um, artwork.
3: It's an interesting pick this this week in terms of, you know, I think Sean brought it up at the top of the the, the episode, you know, that we've got two very beloved. Properties in the sense of the, the the novel and the movie that they're both very different entities, but both kind of wonderful and loved in their own their own way. I, I love Moonraker as a movie, and I love Moonraker as a as a novel, but for very different reasons, and they are very very different beasts. So I enjoyed doing this episode for that reason.
4: I, I completely agree with that, and I think to come back to your earlier question, Paul, about is is this sort of Bond poster is that it does the same thing that that Pan Moonraker cover does for me in that you're seeing Bond in space. So then throughout the entire film, you're going into the film with the context that Bond is going into space. So you're watching the film with that anticipation. So you see a space shuttle and you're like, oh, Roger Moore's going to get in that and go into space. And that's really, that must, that's really exciting. It's from well, It must be from like a first-time view. There, there just aren't many examples in the entire franchise of artwork doing that and complementing the stories in that way. And it's interesting that it's both, there's two pieces of Moonraker artwork that do that for me, but they're very different. And like you say, they're for very different entities. They're kind of two ends of a spectrum where you've got one that's quite serious and it's a launch of a missile taking off and then one that's quite jovial and it's Roger Moore in a spacesuit but they both have that sort of same countdown kind of feel that when you're either reading the book or watching the film you've got that knowledge in your mind that at the end something is going to happen that's going to be really Can impressive. Can I just
3: mention as well you know it's, it's sort of apropos of nothing but you were you were talking about like spoilers and like how Nightfire was also kind hmm. of like the closest adaptation to you know Moonraker the novel um, I just wanted to point out that the end of The Man from U.N.C.L.E is exactly the ending of Moonraker. So if you've seen if you've seen that film, you don't have to read the book.
0: <laughs> I'll wrap it up with one last question to you all. And one little observation for me as the prerogative of being the designated host of this episode is that I didn't give much thought to how consistent the artwork was for the campaign for the film. Well done, and thank you for bringing some interesting variations to the table as well, because I, Lord knows that probably was a little bit harder a task than I thought I was setting you. So thank you for, for finding the weird and wonderful, particularly Peter, but there were, all of you bought something that had had merits and, and rift on that campaign and sort of was clearly part of the same campaign, but also you know a little bit different. And so my question for you at the end of the day is, which piece of art that we've talked about today are you going to put on your wall? Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: for me, I think it has to be the UK quad. It's uh, it's quite classic. It's uh, it does the job, and it's you know it's far better than the 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 posters for the Daniel Craig era, for instance.
3: in In terms of in terms of the movie posters, certainly, I think it's uh, it's it's a really solid piece of work. And um, yeah, I guess I, I guess I would would go with that.
1: For me it would be the um, the teaser poster artwork, you know, uh, more in Space Without a Helmet, partly for sentimental reasons and and partly because it's just a stunning piece of artwork.
4: can, can, I, can I have a whole Moonraker gallery, please, and have them all. Um, I, I, re- I, I I adore I adore Moonraker as a film anyway, it's bloody brilliant. But <sighs> I, so I, when I was a kid, and I must have been about 12, 13, I went to – no, no, I would have been even younger. It was pre-Casino Royale, so I would have been seven or eight, and I went to the Bond in Motion exhibition in Bradford. And I picked – and in, the, in, the, in the, I can distinctly remember being a kid and being in the gift shop, and they had all the posters, all of them, and you could buy a, a copy of any of them. And I can remember my mum saying, you can pick one. And I picked the Moonraker, which is all the bits of action coming out of the, like the sails of the spaceship, um, and so I love that. However, I do think the quad artwork is a better bit of art, and I had that other one on my art, on my wall for ten years, so I probably would change it up and go for the quad as well. But I think they're all brilliant. And I did um, a few months ago. I did a a tribute japanese moonraker poster and i pulled my hair out as i was making it to try and make it different and to try and create something else and the more i did it the more i thought i'm just reinventing the wheel here and there is i don't think there is any other or better way to do a poster for moonraker than what dan guzzi did with this campaign
3: that's high praise
4: i love them and having that poster on my wall and being so excited it's the first time i can remember being excited about a bit of artwork so i would attribute the moonraker poster and that one in particular as
0: be something that put me onto the path of being a designer so amazing sean you could have led with that when i said why did we pick moonraker (laughs) (laughs) i could have but then we wouldn't have got this lovely big finale fair call. You you have a good sense, not only of uh, composition, but of uh, timing as well. (laughs) On that note, guys, thank you very much. Thank you to Peter, David, Ben, and Sean for joining me and talking about the Moonraker posters, and I'm pretty sure we'll do this again another time soon, so stay tuned.
3: Yeah, they're very, uh, in my opinion, they are very, very flat. There's no salad involved. Um...
0: I feel like there's a crisp bun to be made here, but I'm not quite sure how to get it out.
4: Oh, you know, I'm, abs- I'm absolutely doing this once we finish. I'm putting Salad on some James Bond posters. <laughs> Where are you?
3: When will we be? I think that uh, you can play that, that Simpsons, uh, Simpsons song, You Don't Make Friends With Salad. You can play that <laughs> on the outro. You don't win friends with salad. You don't win friends with salad. You don't win friends with salad. You,
0: <laughs> you don't, don't win friends with salad. You don't win friends with salad. I didn't mean to take sides. I just got caught up in the rhythm.